Let us hear God's word. Eileen Elliott's going to come and read to us the passages that are before us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, which we want to think about this morning, but also these words from Matthew chapter 7. Thank you. Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they have persecuted the prophets who were before you, the wise and the foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Thank you. Let us pray. Father, we, we remember the small family this morning and the loss of Jeffrey as a husband to Lorna and as a father to Simon and Christopher and to the family circle, Lord. Be with them. It's hard to move on without someone who's been a big part of your life. And many of us, Lord, have experienced that emptiness that such loss brings. But we thank you, Lord, for the hope that you bring to us in Jesus. We thank you for the friendships that you bless our lives with to encourage us and to help us and to look out for us. We thank you for this church family as we grow in love for each other as a reflection of your love for us and our love for you. Lord, Jesus calls every one of us to follow him. As we've been singing, you, you call us to a better place, a stronger relationship. You call us to put our, our lives on solid rock. And so, Lord, as we 
reflect on these scriptures this morning, your holy word. Open our hearts, not just to hear these words, but to receive you and your calling upon our lives to a better place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story about a man who arrived at the gates of heaven. And whoever was on the gates, folk stories has an angel there or Peter or whatever, says, have you done anything of merit for me to let you in? The man says, well, I was driving up through the mountains and I came across a group of really mean looking bikers. And they were hassling this woman. So I stopped and I got out and I punched two of them in the face and I ripped the nose ring out of another one and I knocked their bikes over. And I said, leave this woman alone or you'll have to answer to me. And the angel at the gate said, when did this happen? And they said, just a few minutes ago. I thought it was a great joke. Because obviously it didn't end too well for him. That's why he's in heaven now, because he's dead. Just to help you out there. Why is it that so often these kind of stories are all about that you need to get into heaven to do something good? It's a place of merit you need to get into. It's about your goodness that gets you in. And so all these jokes and stories that are good and they're funny actually aren't Christian. They work for Islam. They'll work for Buddhism. They'll work for possibly Judaism. But Christianity is different because it's not about us trying to earn our way to be accepted by God, but about God coming into our world to be our savior and redeemer. And so you don't come to the gates to say, why should I let you in? The choices have already been made in this life that places you in the kingdom or outside it. As I think about this great sermon that you've heard all about, it's all about the kingdom of God. So when you think of the the sermon when you think about anything about Jesus' teaching, all you've got to think of in your head is kingdom. And when you think about kingdom, I want you to think about what happens when a new government comes into power or a new CEO takes over a new business or a new president or, or whatever. When a person comes into new power, they express that power through a new administration. So when there's a new uh, prime minister, he he expresses that power by sacking some cabinet members and bringing others in. He expresses that power by having a new agenda. Uh, There's a new focus. There's new money available. Um, This power that has now come to this new prime minister is expressed by a new administration. So when a new president, a new king, new governor, new mayor, new CEO, when anybody comes into a place of power that they did not have before, they express that power 
through a new administration. Priorities, policies, strategy. Jesus Christ comes in and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's coming in power and he expresses that power that he has as king in a new set of priorities, powers, or a new set of strategies which he calls the kingdom. And so when Jesus Christ comes into power, into our lives, at our hearts, and into our families, into our groups, and our communities, our institution, the result is a total transformation in every dimension of that life because of the power, his power that comes in and changes everything. So when you think about kingdom, I want you to think about a new administration that's coming in and it changes everything. Jesus is going through Galilee, uh, as we read last week, and he's teaching in their synagogues. Teaching is something that you give to people who know the scriptures. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom and preaches is what you do to, the, to those who don't know the scriptures. So that kind of is what Jesus does in the countryside. Teaching in the synagogues, preaching outside and healing every disease and sickness. And the Sermon on the Mount is what Jesus teaches about. How do we know he's teaching? Because he goes up to a mountain, which is a place of revelation, and he sits down. And in Judaism, you sit to teach. So when Jesus goes into the synagogue and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, you stand to read, but then he sits down and he starts teaching. And so in Judaism, sitting is the posture of teaching. So Jesus goes to a high mountain, a place of revelation, and he sits down and he gathers his disciples and he's teaching them. So what we read here is what Jesus teaches about the kingdom. What does it mean to be in this new administration, this, this new power, um, this new place of, uh, of, of God's rule? That's one thing. Keep, keep in mind that it's, it's kingdom. The second thing is how does Jesus finish his, end his sermon? It's a bit like a, a, a mystery novel. Some of you jump to the end so that you can understand how to read it in the beginning. Go to the end of the sermon and then you'll see what Jesus' conclusion is about. And when you get to the end, we read about two builders. But before that, you've got two gates, two paths, two kinds of prophets, two kinds of trees. And the question is left at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Which gate are you going to enter? Which path are you going to take? Which kind of prophet, tree, or builder are we going to be? Are we going to be Jesus? Or are we going to be the other persons? We all know that Jesus is the, which gate he is, which path he is, which prophet, which tree, which builder he represents. He's a straight and narrow path. He's the good fruit. He's the wise builder. But whose gate, path, prophet, tree, and builder is the other choice? The opposite of Jesus that we shouldn't take. Jesus is standing up and teaching these crowds and he says, follow me, don't follow them. But who are the them that we shouldn't follow? Who are the false prophets? Who represents the bad fruit? Who is the, bro who is the way that is the broad road and leads to destruction? And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we will discover it's those that are represented by the scribes and Pharisees. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 of the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the shock in Jesus' words. That the very people 
who are supposed to know what righteousness is best are the ones that Jesus is against. They are the bad fruit. They are the broad road. They are the foolish builders who are building their house on sand. So this is not people of faith against atheists or agnostics or uh, sexually immoral or sinners or anything else. So often we think that Jesus is for people of faith and he's against those who are not of faith. Jesus' two groups are both people of faith. Jesus' two groups are both people who pray to God. Jesus' two groups are both groups of people who believe in God, but only one group is on the side of the transforming power of the kingdom, and only that group gets eternal life. It's those who are religious that Jesus is against, and that is what the challenge of his Sermon on the Mount is about. It's not about Uh, believing in God as opposed to not believing in God. It's about living under his kingship as opposed to the other religious people who don't live under his kingship. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are nine blesseds. The first four are about dependence on God. So the arrow is going up. Blessed are those who depend on God, who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who meek, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. The next three are about how we are blessed and how we live for God. So that's how you are to others. You're merciful, you're pure in heart, and you're peacemakers. And the last two are about how others treat you because you depend on God and because you live for God. So blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who insult you and slander you. And so I've kind of created this diagram, which I'll make available. I'll print uh, for the next time we come to this so that you might find it helpful. But I just want to talk about the first four this morning. About those who depend on God. Blessed are... Are you a blessed person? Are you blessed? Describe in your own think through what makes you blessed. What are the things that make your life blessed? You all thought of a few things? Okay. How many of the things that are you're thinking about are on Jesus' list here? That caught me when I read it. Because so often things that I think about what makes me blessed don't make Jesus' list here, and yet Jesus is teaching us about the fundamentals of the kingdom. What's the word blessed about? Blessed is more than happy. And so while the Good News Bible will translate these words are happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed is, is more than being happy. Blessed is actually has the sense of being approved by God. God approves of your life. You're blessed if he approves of your life. And in the Old Testament, that approval was usually seen in three different areas. You're blessed, God approves of your life, if you are wealthy, if you're healthy, 
and if you have a family. So those who were sick, weren't healthy. Those who were poor, who were not wealthy. And those who maybe couldn't have children, couldn't have a family. Oh, there must be something wrong with your life. Because God has not blessed you. God does not approve of your life or else these things wouldn't be there. Now, Job is written as a book that challenges that this is wrong theology. God approves of your life, but these areas are not how you understand how uh, his approval works. So Job was a man who lost his health, lost his wealth, and lost his family. He lost these three Old Testament ideas of what people thought um, illustrated what a blessed person was. And, and Job, the book of Job shows that he was blessed in, in another way that you, you challenge these three areas. But folk religion's hard to shake. So even in Jesus' day, Jesus comes across a man who's born blind. And the Pharisees say, who sinned, this man or this man's parents, that he was born blind? Because obviously God doesn't approve of him or else he wouldn't be blind. They're still working with this idea that while blessing means being approved by God, then that approval would be seen in being healthy, wealthy, or having a family. Blessed means being approved by God, but let's listen to how Jesus shares with us how that blessing is seen, how that approval is seen. And the first thing that that approval is seen, God approves of those, he blesses those who are poor in spirit. Those who are humble. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O Lord, you will not despise. That the kingdom of God, this new administration of, of, of Jesus' power as he comes into our hearts is not about being mighty. It's not even about being good. The kingdom is not a place for self-righteousness or even self-reliance. The kingdom belongs to those who are broken. Broken before God. They know they have failed. They know their weaknesses. They know they're not strong. They know they stumble. They know they make a mess. But they cry out to God in their weaknesses and in their struggles and in their temptations and in their battles. They are humble. They humble themselves before a great and mighty God. Jesus says they're the kind of people that God approves of, that are blessed. Because they, are, they depend on God. Because they're so weak and broken within themselves, there's nothing within them that they can build their lives on. They're not strong, so therefore they depend on God. Jesus says, such people God blesses. That's why the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Because they're depending on God because of their humility. And that orientation of the heart will affect the way you live your life. The second thing that Jesus says that blessed are those, God approves of those who mourn. Now, it's true that God comforts us in our mourning. He is a tender, compassionate, loving, gracious friend to us in our journey of life. But as those disciples sat on that mountain listening to Jesus teaching on that day, that is not the thing that would have come into their minds. 
What they would have heard in this beatitude and in the others is the words of Isaiah chapter 61. This prophecy, this, this cry of people's hearts that had lived through everything that they were going through. So Isaiah the prophet wrote, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is the servant of the Lord speaking, God's servant who's coming. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isaiah 61 is, speaks to a people who are longing for God's reign to come. God's kingdom to come. And so because that longing is so strong, they are in mourning for it. They are grieving for it. They are crying out to it. There's a longing there. So when Jesus comes and he says, he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He is fulfilling this ancient longing of Isaiah 61 about the Messiah it would bring. And the transformation his kingdom presence would bring. Garments of praise instead of ashes. Uh, mourning will be done away with. So now that Jesus has come, he said, blessed are you who have been mourning. Blessed are those who have been longing for God's reign and kingdom to come because you are going to be comforted. Those with that orientation of their heart, longing for God's reign, God's presence, God's power to come in all its beauty and wonder, that will affect the way that you live out your faith day by day. Third beatitude here, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A meek person is not a weak person. Meekness is a quality that comes in a conflict situation. When you're in a conflict situation that is out of your control and you cannot influence your circumstances, you've got two choices. One response is to get frustrated and bitter and anger against this conflict situation you are in and you're angry against others and society and God and everything else. Or the other response is meekness. And meekness is a quality that despite the conflict situation that you are unable to control or influence, you still trust in God. So meekness is a conflict, conflict quality of acceptance that God's in control and of trust in him. The Greek word for meek when applied to animals, means tame. 
In other words, such animals, they don't lose their strength. They're not weak. But they've learned to control their destructive instincts that prevent them from living in harmony with others. So a tame animal is still strong, but it has learned to live with others around them. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says. Blessed are those who, in difficult and trying circumstances, stay calm, stay gentle, and trust in God. Such people will inherit the earth. That orientation of your heart, acceptance in conflict situations of trust in God, will affect the way that you live your life. And the fourth quality of the heart, these are all qualities of the heart, which if we get our qualities right, will affect the way that we treat others and live our lives. The first quality of the heart, the fourth quality is right conduct. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be happy, which is what everybody wants. The law of the universe is that if you try to be happy, you will never be happy. Because anything you center your life on except, except the presence of God and his kingdom, except God and his righteousness, anything you center your life on besides God, you will destroy and it will destroy you. It's like something you're always trying to grab, but it keeps evading your grasp. Or there's more ahead of you and you can never quite get it all. If you're searching for happiness and that happiness you believe is seen, is, is, will be made in, in certain things, you'll never be happy. It's not blessed are those who hunger and thirst after being blessed, after out, about being happy. But blessed are those, God approves of those who hunger and thirst after something more that, than being happy. And that is righteousness itself. And so in the sermon, you'll come on to Jesus' famous words, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things, what are all these things? Well, we'll read about though, about his, the context of being worry and the birds, the, the, the air and everything, the lilies of the field. That's the context of these words. When you worry after different things, but seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness and all these other things that you worry about will be added to you as well. But seek First, the kingdom of God. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're not just desiring God. They're not just liking God. They're not just going to him when they need their help. There's a deep hunger and a deep thirst after him above, above everything else. That orientation of your heart will affect the way that you live your life. So here are four heart qualities that God approves of today. And if you get these qualities right in your life, then, as you'll see, you'll be merciful. Uh, you will treat others with respect, and all these other things about how we treat others will arise because of what's in our heart. It's about humility, being poor in spirit. It's about a, a longing for God's reign, the morning. It's about being able to accept and trust God in conflict and difficult situations, the meek. And it's about right conduct before God. That's what righteousness means, that we live our lives rightly before him. So are you a blessed 
person. Are any of these blessings part of your journey? And if they're not, then maybe we're not building our lives on rock, but actually we are the ones who are building our lives on sand. And it's a shaky foundation. Because God's kingdom is not we seek first after. That Jesus is not the king that we long for and delight in. So we are drawn to these words of Jesus and yet they kind of shake us up and they shame us as well. But directions are good. Directions stop you from getting lost. Directions give you hope. Directions give you clarity to what your life is about. And these directions of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus is telling us how to build your life on the rock of Jesus so that when the storms of life come, your life will stand firm. You'll keep trusting. You'll be meek. You'll keep longing for his kingdom. You'll keep praying. You'll keep being humble. And you'll keep hungering and thirst after righteousness. Right conduct before the Lord because your life is built appropriately. It's not a very encouraging way to finish a sermon. But these are true foundations. These are Jesus' foundations. This is kingdom of God foundations. This is the new administration that he's preaching about. Repent for the kingdom of God has come. What does it mean to be in the kingdom? Here are four qualities of the heart that God approves of. So in our week ahead, think about these qualities and take each one and pray in your own life that this God's spirit will help you move in a more healthy direction of being humble, of being meek, of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and of being a mourner, a longing for his reign.